Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, in this podcast series, we are talking about all the people we need to forgive when it comes to our child's death. And today we will be discussing forgiving others who are not grieving the same way you are. I think we all agree that there is no wrong way to grieve, especially when it comes to the death of your child, until it comes to our spouse or someone close (laughs) to us and they're doing it wrong if they don't do it like me. If you heard that little chuckle there... (laughs) That was Dave. (laughs) I brought him in on this podcast. It might have been a mistake. (laughs) We're both really tired. (laughs) We're doing this in the dark in our son's basement. (laughs) Story behind that, living in our motorhome, it makes uh, doing podcasts quite interesting to find places where we're not going to have a lot of outside noise coming into the podcast. So this is where we ended up for this one. So... (laughs) You might hear little animals running around sometimes. It's hard telling. So, and we're in the dark because the ballast buzzes. And so, anyway, Dave, it is nice to have you sitting next to me. It's always nice to sit next to you. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, um, I just want to say, first of all, that Dave and I talking as spouses doesn't limit this information to married couples. The things that we share can be applied to anyone close to you, and we will be specifically touching on if you have other children and how they are grieving the loss of their sibling. So Dave, I'm going to start out by having you share your thoughts in the hospital when Becca first died and how you grieved. Well, I remember that very, very vividly. It was one of those images that just stuck in my head. When I arrived and walked down the hospital corridor, I had two of my sons behind me, and my daughter, Kim, was standing in the hall by Becca's room. And as I turned the corner and saw her, I just immediately asked her, did Becca make it? And she shook her head, no, and just fell into my arms. So I'm there hugging her. I don't know where my wife is. My boys are hugging me as well, and they're all in tears. And my initial response was just so much concern for the hurt that my other children are feeling and wondering where where you were and where Becca's husband was and how you guys were doing and because I knew you were at the hospital but I didn't know exactly where and just that was I, I didn't really get a chance to have my own grief because my initial grief was grieving for my my family's grief and the pain that everyone was going in and it, it probably took a, a few days for it to start to get to where I could start feeling that grief of my own loss of Becca. One thing that you talk about is how men usually want to protect their wives. This isn't always the case, but it does seem quite often to divide. The the women were so much more emotional, that's no secret. And a lot of times our grief, we, we go to the cemetery a lot. We look at pictures a lot. We may go in their room and smell their clothes or lay across their bed and cry. We immerse ourselves in things that remind us of our kids. Whereas a lot of times it seems like men separate themselves from that. They want to protect us, right? They're trying to keep us from that pain. I think that's very true, especially if we come and see our wife looking at all these pictures and crying. 
some of us can say, why are you doing that to yourself? You know, put them away. Because we don't like seeing you hurting and in pain. So we offer our solutions to that, which is, well, if that hurts, stop doing it. That's not necessarily the case in your mind. Right. So for a lot of us, it's like we need those things to help us process the reality of it. And for people who grieve the opposite way, they need to put those things away because that's more of a distraction for them because that's seems like that's kind of how you were. It's like those things just had to be put aside working through the grief. So we have Father's Day coming up in just a couple of weeks. Talk about that first Father's Day for you. What did you do? Well, first I'd have to say when it came to all of the trigger events, you know, holidays and, and the such, for me personally, Father's Day was probably the hardest because Becca even though she wasn't my biological child, I adopted her and she was the first child to make me daddy. Right. I had Becca when we met for two years that we dated and everything and got married. So, but she only knew you as daddy. I mean, that yeah. was so, she grew she, up she as, grew up as you daddy. as daddy and, and you adopted her right away after we got married. Yep. She, she had me wrapped around her little finger. <laughs> so that first Father's Day especially was very, very difficult. And what I remember doing, what, Rebecca was a worshiper, and she wrote worship songs. And, and in church, her and I would be worshiping. I just, I, until this day, I really miss doing that. And what I did after church service on that Father's Day is I took my tenor saxophone and my soprano saxophone out to the cemetery, just me. And I don't hang around the cemetery. I just don't go out there myself. I'll go out there with you, but I won't go out there with myself that often. But that day, I just really felt I needed to. And I brought out my horns and started worshiping and playing the songs that Rebecca wrote, just as a chance to. This time, she was singing along with me, but she was singing them in heaven. Yeah, it's interesting how we all, we just all do things differently. And what comforts one is totally not comfort to another. Right. <laughs> so another area that there can be a big difference in, in how some people grieve is some people like me, I wore it on my sleeve for a long time. I mean, I would post about it on Facebook. I'd share pictures about, you know, her tombstone every time I decorated it, uh, share about how hard things were, whatever. And there are people that would rather grieve a lot more privately. Mm -hmm. And I know it made you really uncomfortable when my grief was so open. But you wrote a chapter in, in my book, When Tragedy Strikes, called The Support Beam of Grace. And there's something that you wrote in there that God showed you about that. I would love for you to share that. Well, a lot of things about me are I tend to keep a little bit more private. This is and, true. Uh, <laughs> the, and in Facebook is filled with, and sometimes I'm amazed at how the posts are so personal. And, you know, people like myself look at that and it's like, you got to be nuts. Why are you doing that? But as I was looking at that and praying about it, the Lord showed me the book of Psalms. And I thought, you know, if David were alive today, his Facebook posts would look that exact same way. Everything that he was going through, he'd be posting out there, and that's what it would look like. And, yeah, he uh, shared the depths of his heart no matter what it was like. I mean, yeah. the, and, even the ugly stuff. <laughs> so that helped switch my perspective that for some people that emotion has to come out verbally, it has to come out one way or another, 
Or they'd explode. Right. And we're not like blacking it all over and just, you know, but there is a rightness. Some people need to do that. They need to express what they're going through and get it out. One thing that I think it's important to know is that statistics are all over the place about marriages after the death of a child. Some will show as many as 70 to 90% of marriages end in divorce after the death of a child. Some statistics will show that it doesn't affect a marriage at all, saying it's based on how stable the marriage was before the child died. They're all over the place. It's really hard when you start looking at that to know really where the right statistics fall. But the thing is, we don't want you to be one of those divorce statistics if you are married. You don't need the pain of a failed marriage on top of the pain of the loss of your child. Now, when Becca was diagnosed with cancer when she was three years old, our pastor, we had a wonderful pastor, and he actually had us over for dinner one night because he wanted to share some things with us. Well, he was just concerned with what we were going through, and he loved Rebecca too, so he just shared with us about how difficult situations like this, the stress that can put on a marriage. One thing he told us, which we took to heart, was... Do not ever let the D word come to your lips. Mm -hmm. And I will let it come to my lips this one time. D word (laughs) is divorce. I know there are people that just throw that word out there all the time. And the problem is sometimes if you start speaking it because of the power of words, even in a joking manner or in a threatening manner with no intention. Just a moment of frustration. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It starts. You start thinking about it. It starts making it easier to Mm -hmm. go that route. and. So we've just never done that, and I think that was a very important message. Definitely. That has served us through a lot of things in our marriage that we've been through that we won't let that word cross our lips at all, no matter how frustrated or upset we are with each other, the situation. And another thing... And and because of that, we tend to lean towards each other. Exactly. And and every time we have a tragic issue. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. Another thing that was really important that we learned is that to lean on each other, not to pull away and isolate each other. I mean, there are moments you need that, but as a whole, to lean on each other and not turn against each other or turn to blame each other because Mm -hmm. we saw that happening a lot when Becca had her cancer. There really was a huge divorce rate. It was so sad to watch in the hospital of these kids going through cancer and their parents Mm -hmm. were divorcing because the stress was so high. So just be aware of that if you're married. Give each other a lot of grace. Just allow each other to grieve the way the other person needs to grieve and don't take it personally and don't see it as they didn't love their child as much as I did or they would be grieving this way or, you know, all kinds of crazy things our minds will tell us. We do want to share with you a couple of suggestions specifically on helping yourself when you're frustrated with the people around you. It doesn't have to be a spouse. I just had an email a few days ago about someone who's really struggling with a group of friends that won't invite her out anymore. And we find that's very common. Our friends change a lot of times. People just don't want to be around us for all kinds of reasons. We talked about that in another podcast. But one of the things that we feel like is really important is to plug into a local support group if at all possible because it's so important to be around other people who get it who understand the grief and why you're grieving the way you do and why you feel like you're going crazy and all that kind of stuff a lot of times the only thing that's available are generic grief groups Mm -hmm. Um, i know 
grief share is a really yes. good one. But for a lot of parents, even grief share can be difficult because when you're dealing with parental grief, it's so much different than the other types of grief. There's some similarities, but just different layers you have to deal with. Yeah, and they it seems like they talk a lot about the grief of spouses, which yeah. is important. I mean, yep. we're not saying yep. these other griefs are not important, but I can't relate to someone who's grieving their spouse in a lot of ways, you know, when am I ready to, to date again? I, I can't, that's not mm-hmm. where my head is at at all. It doesn't even come close to, to what I'm talking about. So we had that very similar thing. We couldn't find a local support group. And so we ended up having parents coming to us, asking us if we would start something. There were people that were driving up to Madison and all kinds of things. And so we ended up starting what we called, that was actually became the name of our ministry eventually, we just started a just a little local support group in our house called Grieving Parents Sharing Hope, GPS Hope. It's starting to grow, isn't it? Yes. We call it the GPS Hope Share and Care Group. Mm-hmm. And we've got one down in Arizona, one in Florida that's kind of an affiliate. One thing is ours is obviously faith-based. It's not faith-exclusive. Yes. You know, everyone's welcome. But we feel it's important for people that come from a place of faith to be able to feel free to share their faith along with the struggles they're having with their faith. Right. And not have to say, well, this is my belief and try to almost excuse ourselves for right. having a belief in God and trying to hold on to that or struggle through that. A lot of support groups want to stay so neutral that you feel like you can't really, your faith has to be kept separately. Right. And that's impossible for us well, in our grief. Yeah. And we can't separate your faith from who you are or anything you're going through yeah so we actually have started making these share and care groups available for people who want to start a group maybe you can't find one and if you're interested in something like that you can look under support groups on our website gpshope.org and there's a list there of what what it could take to to start one of your own and we make it really simple. Yeah, it, it's not run by us, it's run by you. We just want you to follow the guidelines that we right. have. Right, and but it's really not even running it. It's more like facilitating, facilitating. it. It's just yes. getting a group of grieving parents together, and you just we show you how to find the topic, throw out a topic, and talk about it, and right. just share your hearts. And, and often in a local group, you just throw mm-hmm. something out, and you don't have to say another word. Yeah, <laughs> the, the group just takes over, and everybody starts talking and sharing their hearts. It's, it's a safe place to do that and take off your masks and not be judged for where you are in your walk with the Lord or in your grief. So also, support groups are where you can find out that you're not going crazy. You're grieving. A support group is a safe environment, like I just said, of people going through a lot of the same thoughts and feelings that you're going through. And so it's, we just feel like that's one of the most important things you can do, especially when you're struggling with people around you who are not understanding your grief or they're not grieving the same way you are. A support group is so important for that. And another interesting thing is that even within like grieving differently, that means some people might want to go to a some sort of a share and care group or a support group and some might not. But I think sometimes like for me, I even if I could have found one, I would have been hesitant because I felt like I was already a mess and I didn't want to go to this group and boohoo and cry through it and feel like I was leaving worse than when I walked in (laughs) because I was going to be around a bunch of people who were a mess like me. But what I discovered is that it was actually very healing to be around 
a bunch of people who are a mess like me. Uh, tears and stories can be very healing for some of us, but some have a hard time being around too much of that. So once again, there has to be given grace and allowances made if one of you wants to go, but the other one doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with, with men, we tend to have to be dragged to things mm-hmm. like that. Not all of us, obviously, but uh, for any men listening, I would say to at least try those things, If you, especially if your wife wants to go to one. Give it a shot because you may find that it's not what you think it is. You can start building relationships with other men who have lost their yes. child too. yes. Yes. So another thing we need to do in helping if we feel like there's someone that we're really frustrated with close to us, it's not grieving the same way we are and we think they're doing it wrong. Another thing is to drop unrealistic expectations, especially those who haven't gone through the death of the child, because nobody is going to know the depth of our pain, and it just isn't right to expect them to. It's not right for me to expect Dave to grieve the same way I grieve. It's just, it's not a realistic expectation. We're totally different people. We have totally different personalities. We had different relationships with our child or that person, and so to have that expectation isn't right for them, and it's not right for you. It's hurting you. You already know that. So before I lost Becca, I had no idea the depth of pain that a bereaved parent was going through. So why should I expect someone to know what I'm going through? Yeah, and I don't remember dates of other people. Sometimes I have a hard time remembering people's names. How can I expect somebody to remember when Rebecca died or when she was born or any of those special dates? Right. It's like I don't remember my own age. My kids get to a point I don't remember their age. You know, I have to stop and think which child for which birthday. So to expect <laughs> someone else to, you should have remembered this was my child's birthday or you should have remembered that this was mm-hmm. the day they died or this is the day they went in the hospital. That's one of those unrealistic expectations. It's a beautiful thing and it's almost like icing on the cake or a, a special kiss if somebody does remember that. But it's not something that we should expect them to remember. Yeah, and things like dates, especially if you've never been one to remember dates, you can't expect them to suddenly be different. And when you add the grief fog on top of that, that just makes things even more difficult to remember. Right. And we were in such a fog that our minds just don't work the same, period. We don't hold on to information very well. So just because I remember something like that, and you might not, you know, it was one month ago today, or mm-hmm. it, today is 26 months, or, you know, something like that. Right. It doesn't mean that you don't love Becca. I mean, that you love her less than I did or anything. Just like I said, our mind just does crazy things to us when we're in this grief. The next suggestion might not make sense at first, but just hear us out. And it's thankfulness, being thankful. Don't turn me off, okay? (laughs) Hear me out. Because when we hear this, most of us don't do it because it can feel so hard and feel so fake. So for me personally, for a while, I had a notebook by my bed and I would make myself write down at least five things I was thankful for before I went to sleep each night. I would force myself. And sometimes it was a struggle and other times I would find myself writing pages of things I was thankful for, things that went right in my day. So I just encourage you to start with the smallest things, the smell of warm cookies in the oven, a pretty flower that you noticed. I actually noticed a flower today. It was really pretty. 
Someone called and left a message. Maybe you were home and you didn't feel like answering the phone, but they left a message and said, hey, I was thinking about you today. Little things, just it doesn't matter how little they are because making ourselves be thankful helps get our focus off of the pain of the loss. And when I did this, I found it started stirring something up inside of me that caused me to want to live again because I think a lot of us, we just, we don't think we can live. We don't want to live. Even though we have people in our lives to live for, we just don't want to live. And so this thing of forcing myself to find things to be thankful for it just awakened something in me and at least got me to that point where I wanted to live again. So if you do it consciously and consistently, the way other people are behaving around you, it just doesn't matter quite so much. It isn't something that you take as personally. And I remember when you used to ask yourself, why do I don't want to be here anymore? And especially when I have other children and, and I love you. And it frustrated me. Yeah. <laughs> I got to thinking about that question, and I think it's just natural for a parent to kind of have those feelings. And I thought of the parable when the shepherd left the 99 to go after the one. Your heart is so much towards keeping everybody <laughs> together. As making, a parent, yeah, and we want to sure go after that one. Yeah, and I think it's kind of the same heart reaction that we struggle through. Yeah, that's a really good analogy straight from the Word of God that's very helpful, I believe. So the longer we stay in that place, though, the more we risk causing damage to ourselves and our family. So we yes. need to find things to do that will pull us out of that place. Now, sibling grief is a whole different subject. I think I'm going to do a podcast series on sibling grief down the road. But just for today, let me say that my guess is if you have other children, they probably aren't talking to you about it and they may be pulling away from you and it's scaring you and it's frustrating you and you feel like I already lost one child you would think as a family we'd want to pull together and your children are pulling apart or pulling away from you and after hearing from a lot of siblings this is normal is what I found out one thing is they want to protect you from more pain they're trying to figure out who they are because think about it. Our identity is wrapped up in our siblings mm -hmm. growing up and they've lost their past. They've lost their future. Their siblings were supposed to be there to bury you together. Their sibling wasn't supposed to go away. You're supposed to have kids together and do all of life together. And that's now gone. And they may also have people telling them that they need to look out for you. I mean, people saying, hey, how's your mom doing? Little kids, be, be nice for your mom. She's hurting. Yeah. Or, you know, how, right. how's your dad doing? And they don't ask, how are you doing? Right. And so it's so much for a sibling. So they, they tend to pull away. That's how they deal with it. They, they pull away to try to process and figure out who mm -hmm. am I. Yeah, that's, it's, it's a common reaction, unfortunately, and it hurts even more. Yeah, and for a lot of kids, too, they see their parents' deep loss and deep grief as, well, maybe they're upset that the wrong one died. Maybe I was supposed to be the one that died. And, and I know you were shocked when our youngest daughter came to you and actually expressed that to you. Right. Yes. Yeah. She said, I, I think, I believe you think the wrong one died. And I was stunned by that. But then later I found out that's fairly common. They see the depth of our grief mm -hmm. and they interpret it as we think the wrong one died. And I know so, I've also run into a lot of siblings that mm -hmm. have said, when I lost my brother or my sister, I feel like I lost my parents as well. Yes. And, and they did. I mm -hmm. mean, none of us are ever the same, including them. 
So that is something that we really need to be aware of. Even within our own pain, we need to find ways to assure our children even if they're adult children, that we love them and that we're all grieving. And that's just another area of, of grace that <laughs> it's just so hard, isn't it? The whole thing is just mm-hmm. so hard. I did put together a book giving siblings and grandparents a voice. It's called From Ring Bearer to Paul Bearer. We don't let people know about it very often. Just it's something that we have ourselves, GPS Hope. We don't make it available at bookstores or Amazon or anything like that. The title came from our youngest son was six years old when he was Becca's ring bearer for her wedding. Mm -hmm. And then 10 years later, at 16, he found himself as a pallbearer for his sister's casket. And talk about messing with you, right? From ring bearer to pall bearer. And so that book, our three sons share about their grief and all four of our parents as mm-hmm. grandparents share about their grief in grieving Becca. And so it just kind of gives a voice and, and maybe helps you think about how siblings might think, how our parents might think about the death of our child. It can be helpful. If you're interested in getting it as a free ebook, you can get this free. You just have to go to our website, gpshope.org. We have a library. You just log in, give yourself your name and your password, and you can have access to the library. There's a lot of stuff in there, including this book that you can download and have it if you're interested. And we do have on our website the the hardback our, cover. Our that person, you yeah, on our website in our store, we do have the paperback copy. If you would rather have it actually in book form, so each week I've been sharing a prayer with you to say out loud during this forgiveness series, and this week is not any different. This prayer can be for anyone close to you who's not grieving the same way you are, including your other children, a parent, a close friend, and of course your spouse. So this is the prayer. And before I say it, I just want to let you know that you can also get this. If you go to the podcast show notes, we'll send this to you. Give us the information. So if you miss it here, just let us know and we'll send it to you. But the prayer says you say their name and then you say, I forgive you for not grieving the same way I am grieving. We are two different people and our relationship with, put in your child's name, was different. I choose to give you grace in your pain and will no longer accuse you of not caring either out loud or in my own mind because your grief looks different than mine or because I can't see outward signs of your pain that make sense to me and the way I am grieving. So that's the prayer if you're kind of lost at at how to pray and how to forgive this person because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about forgiving those people who aren't grieving the same way you are. And that can be hard. And so saying a prayer like this out loud over and over again until you feel it and it becomes a reality is a good thing because it's it's a choice that we make to forgive. It's not mm-hmm. based on our feelings. Mm-hmm. It's not based on whether they're wrong or not. It's based on a, a choice that we make to release ourselves from the frustration and the anger that it brings to us. 
So we encourage you to be determined that your child's death is not what will be the death of your marriage or other important relationships in your life, at least not on your end. You can't do anything about how other people are grieving, but you can do something about how you are reacting to it, about giving them grace, about asking God to help you give grace and to forgive them. I think the biggest takeaway from this discussion is that you need to accept and respect the need of that other person and how they're grieving and then take care of your own needs. I'm going to say that again. You need to accept and respect the needs of that other person in how they are grieving and then take care of your own needs. Those are two separate things. You can do it. Mm-hmm. So Dave, thank you for being on here with me. Well, thank you for letting me be on here with you. (laughs) (laughs) You always have a lot of good insight and things to share. So thank you and love you. (laughs) I love you. So with that, we are going to go into our birthday segment. This week, I have one birthday that I would like to share with you. It is Isaiah Santel. His birthday was May 22nd. He is forever 16. I know his parents, Tony and Angelique. They are uh, beautiful people. This was their only child, and they are still in their first year of grief. So Isaiah, we know you're up there celebrating, and your mom and dad really miss you. I would love to announce your child's birthday. Just go to gpshope.org birthdays. Fill out the short form with the needed information. If you don't remember that, you can go to our show notes. There'll be a link in the show notes there also. Let other bereaved parents know that their child can be celebrated with our listeners. Pass this on, okay? Let's get all of our kids announced on here so that we can all celebrate together the day our kids were born. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember, there's going to be a lot in the show notes from this episode. The forgiveness prayers, the birthday sign up, the ebook ring bearer to Paul Bearer. That is at www.gpshope.org slash podcast slash six. You'll find links to everything we talked about in today's episode. And before you close your window from listening today, if you're not directly listening on the GPS Hope website, Would you please give us a rating and maybe a quick review? The more we have, the higher it ranks in the search engines, and that allows more grieving parents to find this podcast and get the hope and encouragement that you're getting. So if you would do that for us, we would really appreciate it. Next week may be the biggest one of all. I'm going to be talking about forgiving God for allowing your child to die. Pray for me as I prepare for this one, okay? Because it's a big one. So I hope you join me for it. And until then, remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.